Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Covering cast. 
That is also in the book of Isaiah. And that the day will come when God will destroy the covering caste. He also promises to sweep away the refuge of lies over the nations of the earth. That true cornerstone, by the way, is Jesus Christ and you and I who have built our lives upon his word, that we are hearers not only but doers of the word. We've obeyed what he said to do. We will not make haste. Right now, the refuge of lies that is being spread all over the world is a phobia. I want you to hear this very carefully this morning. There is a phobia being promoted that they are trying to make the inhabitants of the world feel as though they can't go outside and breathe the air. They're wanting you to believe that everything is saturated with COVID-19 and with pandemic viruses and bacteria, and you can't go anywhere without a mask. And you, you know, they have created a lie, a placebo in the minds of the masses, and to get them to start feeling as though if they breathe the air, they're going to get sick. If they go to a restaurant, they're going to get sick. If they go to a store, they're going to get sick. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't genuine flus and bugs and bacterias and viruses. There are. There's no doubt about it. But that is not what is being spun. The spider's web of today getting in the minds of the people is a refuge of lies making people believe things that just aren't true. They're just not true. And you know what a placebo is. You give somebody a water pill and tell them it's the great healer of all healers for that particular disease. They take it and their mind says, okay, now I'm healed and their body responds. Well, the opposite is true. They've made this pandemic, COVID-19 debacle, this lie, these refuge of lies, they've made them and given them to the nations of the earth so that the nations would feel sick just by breathing the air. I want to tell you something. The air is clear. If you're walking in the spirit, if you're walking in covenant with God, if you have Psalm 91 as your hedge of protection, if you believe in the inoculating blood of Jesus Christ, if you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, listen, fear is more destructive than the lie that they are promoting. Fear is more destructive than the lie they are promoting. The fear of a pandemic, the fear of I can't breathe the air, a fear of, oh my gosh, I touched somebody that had a flu. That is more damaging than any virus that will ever be promoted. And you know that there are men, and again, this is the early bird catches the worm, You know that there are men and women in this world, in our generation, who have begged, okay? They have wished to come back to this earth after their death, and they would come back as a virus so that they could wipe out a massive amount of people on the planet. I mean, there are people that actually said this, that they wished they would come back as a virus and wipe out people. We know, and we don't make this up that population control is a very real issue. We, these oligarchs and these so-called elites say, we must control the, uh, the amount of people on the planet and we must uh, control the population so that we can have resources for ourselves. And our I'm trying to do a Henry Kissinger, but it's not working very well. But the bottom line is they believe that they are called 
to control the population. So they put women in China in these little shoes, and they won't let their feet grow. They limit them to one child. Uh, They have created abortion to mass murder over 500 million. That's hundreds of millions of babies dead through abortion, Planned Parenthood, population control. Uh, Let's throw out a little bit of AIDS, HIV. Let's throw out some SARS. Let's throw out some other bubonic plagues. Let's go out and, you know, all these crazy things. Because, listen, since the very beginning of time, the satanic mind has always been about killing. It's not God's will to control the population. The earth can take care of billions of people, tens of billions of people. There's so much place on the planet, it could work really well, and there's enough resources of the earth to take care of everybody and the animals and the fish and everything in creation. But through our sin, we're destroying, and so man's fears being promulgated by the powers of darkness, they have men going into other nations. Uh, We'll protect you, but we get your resources. We're going to go into your nation, take your diamonds. We're going to take, and there's this massive plundering going on especially through Babylon America, who spread itself everywhere to get everything for itself to feed ourselves. Let, you know, let the other starving people in the world, or they'll pay a price if they don't capitulate. That's all very real. That's not make-believe. That's all very real. I'm telling you, you can breathe the air, and you can live your life. And you don't have to be afraid of what's in the atmosphere because the blood of Jesus and Psalm 91 promises like that, if you have faith to believe, you can walk, not proud, not, you know, in in a spirit of, you know, haughtiness, but you can trust God to be a hedge of protection, to protect your immunity, to protect you in your life. And by the way, if you happen to get a flu and die, if you happen to die, if you're born again, it doesn't matter. Death has no dominion over you. You and I do not have to be afraid of death anymore. Now, I want to just read a quick scripture here out of Hebrews chapter 2. And I know you know what it says, but I think it's good to hear the word of God And again, this is just our early morning bird catches the worm kind of stuff going on right now. So it says in Hebrews chapter 2, and I want to pick it up in verse 14 is where I want to be. All right, so let me get here. Hebrews 2, 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... He also, Yeshua, Jesus, himself likewise took part of the same. He became flesh and blood. The Messiah, God, became flesh and blood. That through death, his own death on the cross, he might destroy him that had the power of death. So through his own death on the tree, Yeshua destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. That's what it says in your Bible. The devil had the power of death, the keys of death. Okay, he had it, death and hell. He had it. But Yeshua went to the tree and through his own death, he destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and delivered them. All right, so he came 
Jesus Christ, to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You see, the fear of death is what the devil does now because he does no longer possess the power of death. The keys of hell and death came with Yeshua when he was resurrected. It says in the Bible that he who has the keys of hell and death, when Jesus died, he went and he whooped up on this devil, took the power of death, and Jesus now rules over death so that you don't have to be afraid of it anymore when you put your trust in him. So the only thing the devil can do is lie and make people believe that there's some power in death, and it really is not the truth. The devil is a liar, and he saturated the nations of the earth, this whole planet, with the lies of the fear of death. And right now, through this pandemic, this scamdemic, this thing that's out there, they have promoted it, they have manipulated it, they have lied about it, and I cannot wait for the day of vengeance to come upon the people that have done this so that they have messed with God's creation, and the day of holy vengeance will come, and they will pay, and their smug looks will be taken away. That day is coming, but I refuse, and you should refuse, to be afraid even of death, because really the devil's a liar. He's the father of lies, and all he could do is lie. He cannot threaten you with death. You don't have to be afraid of death. You know, you have some great things that God has given to you in your life. You know, I, I want to do something with what God has blessed me with. Well, find out what to do with it. And the reality is when you and I die, if the Lord tarries, we're not taking anything with us, right? So we want to make sure that we distribute, that we share, that we help, we build, we do whatever God wants us to do. Uh, but don't trust in anything because there's nothing that's going on into heaven. But the point is of Hebrews that you do not have to be afraid of death. You know, there's another scripture, and I believe it's in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I could be wrong, but let me see. Um, let's see. I believe it is. I believe it is. I believe it is. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And here's a scripture. I love this scripture. I mean, this is one of the best of the best, right? If I'm in the right place, for goodness sake. All right. So I'm not. I never, I never find this one. It's always a very difficult thing. Let's see. You remember the one, the scripture, and I do apologize, but I want to get to this. It must be 2 Timothy. I always mess that up. All right. So I believe it's 2 Timothy. There it is. Okay. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, we just read, and I want you to get it. Did you go to Hebrews chapter 2? Did you read in verse 14, 15? Did you go on down? Did you see that Jesus Christ died so that he might destroy him that had the power of death? That is the devil. He destroyed him. In other words, he destroyed his power that death held. The, the devil had the power of death. Jesus took that power from him, which means it destroyed the devil. So the only thing the devil can do now is put fear. Did you read that in your Bible? 
so that you and I would be delivered from the fear of death. Did you read that in your Bible in Hebrews? So the fear of death is the devil's, the devil's work. We don't fear death. Why? Because we're born again. We have a promise of eternal life. Let it rip. Live your life to the fullest and leave the results with God. And if you happen to die a death, well, it has no power over you because you are a child of the resurrection. You may get translated. You don't know what God is going to plan for your life. You're not supposed to be living, nor am I, in the fear of death. And we know that these smug, antichrist people that are manipulating these things, their day of vengeance is coming. It's really coming. It's going to come. It's going to be very powerful. The point is, you don't need the doctors to save you. You don't need to be afraid of death. Even the Apostle Paul said, man, I would much rather be with the Lord than be in this body on this earth because he knew the glory was ahead of him. Don't you be afraid of death because if you are fearing death, At any level, you're denying Christ's power of what he did. He came to deliver you from the fear of death. So to fear death, you're saying, Jesus, you didn't really do what your word says you did. Don't do that. Now listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy in verse, uh, let's see, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, speaking of Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy 1.10, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What did your Bible just say? That through Jesus Christ, he has abolished death. Death has no more dominion over the believer. And if all the people on the planet would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they would no longer have to be afraid, not even of the monster that's putting out the fear of what they want to project. And then they may lose something into the atmosphere and try to poison it because they're that sick. They're exterminators in their mind. They want to spray human beings like bugs, but that's in their mind. That's what one of their own said. They'd like to come back and be a disease and wipe out a huge portions of the population. This is not make-believe. That's what they said. They're quoted, heard, saying it. So the population control mandate that they possess is a very satanic one, and they may do some evil, bad things, but you and I are not to be afraid of it. But they want to strike fear. They want to bring Adolf Hitler back on the world stage. They want to put Christians in concentration camps. They want to get you afraid and take you and make you know, merchandise out of you, and they want to experiment on you, and they want to starve you. They want to hate you, and that's all Satan's massive hatred. Don't fear death. Don't fear death. And until the ecclesia of God's people can look down the, the look into the very face of an evil, satanic thing and not fear it, we're not ready. You've got to get rid of the fear of death, the fear of loss. Listen. If you lose everything, your house, your cars, your money, your gold, your silver, your land, everything, but you have your life, you ought to be of good cheer. Acts chapter 27 tells us that the apostle Paul, in the middle of a storm, had a word from the angel of God, and he told everybody, be of good cheer. And why? Because not one of you will lose your life, but, he said, this ship and everything in it, it's gone, but your life will be spared. 
So it's a good thing to continue to live, to give God glory, because he could always bring restoration and healing. Don't be afraid of death. Don't be afraid of the devil. Don't be afraid of godless men. Don't be afraid. The time will come at the exact moment that God will release a word into the heart of his own tabernacle when it's time to move swiftly and absolutely against the evil that is going on in this world. And and that's in God's. He's the commander in chief. His army's all over the earth. He knows when. We don't want to be premature. We don't want to lose our salvation by doing something stupid. We want to stay very close to the heart of Jesus and know when he says to go. And when he roars, we will roar with him. So right now, don't be afraid. Death has been abolished. You just read that in your Bible. Death has been abolished. The one who had the power of death has been destroyed. He doesn't have that power anymore. So execute the judgment that has been sent against the powers of darkness. And if the ecclesia would begin to rise up with the voice of righteous judgment against the powers of darkness, thank God the two witnesses are coming. Thank God. You know why? Because in Revelation 11, the two witnesses, they call fire down out of heaven. They strike the earth with as many plagues as they want to. And if any man hurt them, they will be hurt. Believe me, the two witnesses possess power to wreak havoc upon this earth. You think these little boys that are up there in their big suits and their uh, ivory towers and their halls of power, they are nothing. I'm telling you, they are nothing in comparison to the power of God and to the power that lies within you, the believer. And all you got to do is release that power by the Holy Spirit at the right time. And my, oh, my, things are going to change. Don't you be afraid to go to a restaurant. Don't you be afraid. You bless whatever you eat. You bless the, the, the food you eat, the water you drink, the air you breathe. You go out and you bless God and thank God that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And you just go for it. And you anoint your head with oil and you harden that adamant stone. You get that forehead stronger than anything they're producing. They are weak. They are empty shells being used by demon spirits to speak the fear of the devil. They are liars promoting lies in the name of science or whosoever. Okay, but I just wanted to get that across this morning to you. I feel very strongly about that, obviously. I didn't know I did. But um, we have a long way to go here this morning. A long way to go. We got a long way to go. We got a long way to go, a long way to go. Praise the Lord, we got a long way to go. We have a long way to go, folks. We got a lot to do today. By the way, for those of you just joining into the broadcast right now, I want you to know we have a new account on Gab. All right, so you could go on to gab.com, G-A-B, gab.com, uh, social media. And uh, because my friend Chris on the West Coast in Portland, uh, my friend Chris basically guided me through the other night. We established a, uh, a place. And so you can go to Gab right now. Under Omega Radio, all you got to do is type in Omega Radio, and all of our videos and everything that we're doing will be uploaded there, and we'll be doing that every day. So when I'm done here today on Facebook and YouTube, um, and when we're taken off of there because we talk about their lies in the scandemic and all the filthy, vile, horrible, wicked things that are going on in the world, and they don't want us to say it because they want to protect their agenda, and they want to protect their refuge of lies. Well, when we're gone, we will always be on OmegaRadio.org until we're not anymore, but we also will be on Gab, 
And so, and we're looking at some other places where we can do live streams. I have to upload the videos to Gavin. I could do that from Omega Radio on Rev TV. So we'll do that until God says not to do it anymore. Praise the Lord. Folks, don't be afraid of being arrested. You know, January 6th, 500, so still over 500 people are in prison that just showed up in Washington, D.C. And again, you know what I say to those people? I was there and I saw over 1 million people walking with integrity. They walked with a moral compass. There were no windows broken in the city until you got to that one part up in the Capitol building, right? But there were no fires in uh, cars on fire, no windows broken, no fisticuffs, no fights, no nothing. It was a, it was like a family reunion of people that were having a fabulous time. And the only thing, time things got a little wild is when in the Capitol building, when there was a, a march over there, everybody would say, come on over to the Capitol building, let's protest what's going on. Well, the agitators inspired a few people, and, and figure a million people, and then you take uh, uh, maybe 200 people that were actually violently doing anything, breaking windows, not even 200, and they said this is the worst day in American history. It was an insurrection of the mob that we are the Trump supporters and the white conservative Christians who are white supremacists, every one of us are, and so they've arrested people who weren't even around the Capitol building. They took pictures of them in the crowds as far as Alaska, and they broke into their house. They took everything from them, and it was like a Nazi-style black op, you know, against people that showed up to support their president. And I'm telling you, if you compare the nine or ten months prior to January uh, 6th, where the Black Lives Matter and the Antifa and the agitators were burning buildings, burning businesses, burning government facilities, there was no comparison. So all I'm saying is, I was there and it was not what they made it to be, but they're using it and manipulating it. Yes, ma'am. Okay. I got the whoosh from Pastor Pat. All right. She's a general four-star. Salute. Anyways, my point is, it wasn't what they said. It's, again, lies in order to control. And when we're not allowed to say that anymore, for whatever reason, you got to carry the message and not be afraid to speak the truth definitely in love. Okay, I get it. So here we go. Now, a refuge of lies. So we're going to be on Gab. Gab and then maybe Telegram and some other things. I want to say thank you to uh, my brother Chris uh, that's guiding me. And he's going to actually, I believe, I lost the email, Chris, if you're listening. Uh, I think tomorrow morning you wanted to be with it. It's probably going to be Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday Next week is when I'll be able to do it, okay? Not sure we're going to be here tomorrow. But now, having said that, did you hear this? Did you hear this? Did you hear this? This is uh, out of the Epoch Times, okay? Los Angeles, California, passes one of the strictest U.S. COVID-19 vaccination mandates. All right, so this just happened yesterday. The Los Angeles City Council on October 6th approved one of the strictest COVID-19 vaccination mandates in the country, requiring proof of vaccination to enter indoor restaurants, movie theaters, salons, shopping centers, and many more indoor venues. People will have to provide vaccination proof at gyms, sports arenas, museums, spas, indoor government facilities, malls, restaurants, and bars, For people with religious or medical exemptions, 
negative COVID-19 test within 72 hours of entry will be required. So if you want to go to a restaurant three days, you have to prepare three days in advance to go to the restaurant. You have to get a test before you go and you have to be proven not guilty. Okay. (laughs) So this is insane. This is Los Angeles. But I just heard in Denver also that there was a woman that needed a kidney. As I understood it, they wouldn't allow because she wouldn't get the vaccination. So they left her to die. They left her to die. So what am I saying? I'm saying don't be afraid, but recognize the acceleration of what's going on in this world. Listen, if you get afraid, you're going to get caught in the snare. If you're afraid to speak the truth in love in a nation that boasted our Second Amendment rights, our First Amendment rights, if you're afraid to carry and bear arms because the Constitution allows for it, if you're afraid to speak, you're already caught. Now, is there going to be a time where silence will be wisdom? Yes. And I believe it's coming very soon. I truly do. But I have to do something today. I absolutely have to do it because I refuse to think in my mind, oh my gosh, they've heard that so many times. Why go there again? But everywhere I turn, now I'm talking about the freedom of speech in the church, okay, and what we call the church. And I love the church. I love the ecclesia of God. I don't care if you're Calvary Chapel, Baptist, or anybody else. I, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you rally around the cross and you've received the same redemption that I've received in the atonement that the word of God affords, man, we're, we're connected. But we've got to contend with the lies because the devil is not only a liar in the world, he's a liar in the church. We know that scripturally, that many false prophets will arise, many false teachers, apostles. It's all, there's lies coming into the church. Ultimately, to disarm believers, to get them confused, to get them scattered. So I'm going to deal with an issue again today. I feel very led to do. And I'm going to be thorough with it. Because everywhere I turn, I hear a lie coming out of the pulpits of the churches. And whether it's because of ignorance or because of training, whatever the reason is, it's nonetheless a lie that is being promoted. And what am I hearing every day, every time I turn to something on to get fed by some Christian ministry somewhere? The next appointment on the calendar of God is the rapture. The rapture? Is the next appointment in the calendar of God? So in other words, when you study God's word, here's what they're saying. When you study God's word and you're looking at the word of God and you're seeing all these prophetic things lining up, now the leaders of the church are saying en masse continually all day long every day, the next big event in the kingdom of God is the rapture. And it's there. It's on the calendar. It's in the word. You can see it. And you say, okay, well, where is that now? My brother, my sister, you're the teachers. Now, if you're a false apostle, a false prophet, a false teacher, you know, that means you're satanic. So you're not my brother in that sense. But there are people that actually regurgitate information and they act like they got it themselves and it's real, but it's only regurgitated information that's not real. We can easily spread lies. So the question is, if the leaders of the Christian church in the evangelical realms and other places in major denominations are insisting 
Now comes the rapture, because we see all these signs, and they're all saying it. Everything the Bible says is happening globally around the world. So next on the biblical pattern is the rapture of the church. And what, what do they refer to? They are referring to a secret catching away of believers all over the world, nobody knowing when it's going to happen. It's going to happen immediately, and suddenly the church is gone. Airplanes fly into the buildings because the Christian pilot was gone. Cars are crashing everywhere because there's a disappearing of the church. Every book, every movie says the same thing. We live in an age of deception and lies because the power of the devil has been broken, totally destroyed. So his only power is to lie. He lies to the world. He lies in the church. He's a liar. Thank God you and I have a book called the Bible that is filled with truth. And because it is the book of truth and exposes the darkness and exposes the lies, there's a frontal attack against the word of God. It really doesn't matter if we are... Attacked for speaking our opinions? We should be, quite frankly. Forget opinions. Forget opinions. If the ministers of God are not speaking the words of God, then they are being self-centered. They are being agended by somebody's agenda. So let's go to the word of God and let's take a look at the rapture doctrine. And I just wanted you to know that Los Angeles is one of the first that are going to come heavy with the COVID vaccination passport, won't be able to fly, won't be able to travel, won't be able to go to malls and restaurants. It's really happening. Don't be afraid. Get prepared. Get the necessary preparations. Five months, I'm going to say it, I'm still in that frame, five months, make your necessary preparations, five months. Make your necessary preparations. Get your own food, get your own water, get your own medical supplies, get out of the way, get to the place that God has told you to be. Man, I shouldn't have spoke so harshly in my tone of loud vibration. Excuse me. All right, so let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Why there? Because as long as our brothers and sisters are touting loudly on the major airwaves, they have access to billions of people around the world, and they're saying this thing, the next great event in the calendar of God is the rapture of the church before the tribulation comes. Before the Antichrist comes. That's their doctrine. I've never watched a movie about the rapture. I've never read a book about the rapture, the pre-trib rapture, where there was a resurrection of the dead. That's going to be really important to understand. 
So hopefully you're somebody that's joining our broadcast. I'm not seeing my screen at all. I have no idea how many who are watching or what's going on. I'll get there later, and then I'll say hello to the folks that are there. But I hope that one person that loves the Lord, that has believed in the pre-tribulational rapture, maybe their whole life, that you will allow for us together to go through this doctrine. And I want to begin in Matthew 24. And the reason why we go to Matthew 24, because I'm a firm believer that there's not a more intelligent person in the universe than Jesus Christ himself. And if there is something as important as the disappearing of billions of people off the earth in a secret pre-trib rapture, Jesus would have told us about it. Don't you agree? I do. So one of the chapters in the Bible, Matthew 24, it begins with four disciples, which were, uh, who was it? It was Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And you could confirm that in Mark chapter 13, okay? So four disciples asked Jesus, Yeshua, three questions, and we're going to look at them right now, okay? We're going to be very careful about how we address this. And I'm going to keep slow it way down. Matthew 24, verse 1. We're listening now to the master. We're listening now to the teacher of all teachers. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Verse 1. So you have to imagine, uh, 52, 46 years they had been preparing and repairing the temple by the time Yeshua showed up on the scene. 46 years, that temple that, was, uh, that had been built in the days of Haggai and, and it had to go through many restorations. Well, now it shows up and it's a magnificent temple. Okay, you could imagine. And so the disciples are talking to Jesus and they're showing him the buildings of the temple and how magnificent they are and how awesome it is. In verse 2, Jesus shook their minds, and he said, See ye not all these things, referring to the buildings of the temple? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down, suggesting a violent casting down of the, of the buildings, the temple buildings. At that moment, the disciples, they're walking around, Jesus, look at this. Isn't this awesome? And he talks to them. It's not going to be one stone upon another. And those stones were these massive stones. We've been to Israel. We've been to Jerusalem. We've seen the remaining temple stones. Massive, right? Well, verse 3, obviously, there's going to be a little discussion And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, which is up, and he's looking down over the city of Jerusalem, over the Temple Mount. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, four disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, saying, tell us, when shall these things be? Referring directly to the destruction of the temple of their day. They're looking at it. He said, that temple. In that time, it'll be wiped out. But they didn't stop there. They went on saying, 
and tell us when or what shall be the sign of your coming. Huge conversation right there. The sign of your coming. Third question. Tell us the end of the world. Three questions for disciples. When will the temple be destroyed and all those stones thrown down? What will be the sign of your coming? He had been telling them about his coming. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? Three questions for disciples. Jesus now is going to speak into it. And the, the visual I always get while they're st- there on the Mount of Olives is Yeshua breaks out into the spirit and he projects into the future, into the present, okay, into the now, into the now, and then the things that shall be. And he's going to release information. And now this is really important to the disciples, and they're asking him, when are you going to come? What's the end of the world? When is this going to happen to the temple buildings? So now he speaks into their life in verse 4 and said, take heed that no man deceive you. The very first thing that Jesus said to the disciples, let no man deceive you. Another way of perceiving what is being written here, okay, another way to do it, is the four disciples, if you could allow yourself to imagine that what Jesus was telling them at this point, he intended for them to tell all disciples, just like when he told them all the things, and they went and they preached the gospel, right? Jesus imparted to them so that they would go and tell the message. So these four disciples that he's going to talk to are intended by God, by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, for these four to be able to tell the disciples. That's why they wrote it in a book, okay? Tell the world, tell all the disciples, this is the answer to the question of the end of the world, my coming, and what was going to happen in your generation. So here's what he says. Don't let anybody deceive you. So obviously, Jesus knew great deception would be in the world. We all have to beware of being deceived or being deceiving. Every one of us has to be very careful. That's why we're going to give an account for everything we say. Okay? So we have to really make sure that we're speaking not out of the imagination of our hearts, or our doctrinal training from seminary, we have to really make sure that we are speaking God's word and understanding. So Jesus said, let no man deceive you. He said in verse 5, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And I believe the most valid truth of that statement is that Many are going to come. The word Christ means Kairos, the anointed one, the anointed one, the Messiah. Some are going to come saying, I'm Jesus. Well, we don't, nobody's going to fall for that. And those that do are just, you know, it's very sad that they would because that's ridiculous. Okay. But more powerful in thought is that Jesus say, many are going to come in my name. And they're going to say that I'm anointed to tell you the words of God. 
I'm anointed to tell you the words of God. Many will come in my name saying, I am Christ, and they will deceive many. So if you look at the board right now and we say, okay, if we just look at the American gospel and evangelicals and TBN and Daystar and all the other uh, stations that are promoting the gospel. So everybody that is preaching the rapture, the pre-tribulational secret rapture, and they're telling that story, they're saying that they're anointed to tell you this truth. Okay, so is it the truth? Or are they coming in the name of Jesus as pastors, as ministers, myself included? I'm here right now getting ready to show you what the Bible says, and I will be held accountable for what I say. And if I say I'm anointed, the reason I'm here is that God has anointed an appointment of me to be here to tell this thing. Well, man, oh, man, it better be in the word of God, right? I mean, I will be held accountable. So let's look at it. That ought ought to put the fear of God in every one of us. So he said that's going to happen. And again, he's starting here where they are. And I believe everything you're about to hear right now is going to spread all the way to the end of time. And here's how he puts it. In verse 6, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars from generation to generation. And remember that a 40-year generation, there's a 40-year generation, there's a 70-year generation, there's a 120-year generation. They all have to be put in their proper perspective. But a 40-year generation from the time that Yeshua spoke until right now that you and I are talking have been 50 generations. We are the Jubilee. Jubilee is the number 50. We are the 50th generation. 50 times 40 is 2,000. We are 2,000 years down the road. We are the Jubilee generation. A day with the Lord is as 1,000 years, and 1,000 years is like one day. We're only two days have passed. We're coming into the prophetic third day from the economy of God's word. That is true. Something to think about. No big deal. Let's go on. It's a really big deal if you understand it but no big deal for what we're talking about right now. So the disciples of Christ on earth are going to hear of wars, rumors of wars, see that you be not troubled. And I believe that the final generation before the coming of the Lord, which everybody's kind of agreeing we're it, no reason why we shouldn't be considering that. I mean, we are more qualified than any other generation in the history of the church age, especially because Israel became a nation again within the context of a generation that we live in right now. And we'll get into that in just a moment. Prophecy is unfolding everywhere. Globalization is all happening around us. So he said, don't be troubled by the war hearing of the wars and the rumors of wars. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And I think probably if you span time for the last 2,000 years, there's been a lot of generations where there have been wars and rumors of wars. But he says, don't be troubled, because that's not the end yet. Then he goes a little further in verse 7. For nation shall rise against nation. That's race against race. The Greek word for nation is ethnos, and it means race against race, nation against nation, and kingdom, foundations of power, against kingdom, foundations of power. So you're going to have this turmoil is going to hit, this time of instability, where this internal strife of nations 
is going to go forth, okay, with the signs of wars and rumors of wars. We're hearing about them right now, okay? We know that. But Jesus went on to say, not only is that all going to be happening, nation rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, but there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes all over the world in diverse places, okay? Someone says, oh, that's always been agreed. However, the generation and the things that he's talking about that I believe span time are going to be a global shaking, nation against nation puts it global, not just internal people fighting against themselves in their own nation. He's talking about nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. So it's a global reality, global earthquakes, global famine, global pestilence. We're in the midst of a global pestilence, even though it's a placebo and a phobia that's being promoted more than a virus. So the, the virus of fear is more devastating than the, anything that's really happening. Um, so he's talking about these things all over the world at the same time. This is all going on now. He's looking, saying, looking at the environment. My question to you so far in those first seven verses, has Jesus mentioned a secret pre-trib rapture? Just asking. As you go through it again. Did he say anything? even remotely looked like or sounded like, oh, that could be the preacher of rapture he's talking about. Zero. I think we all agree. Zero. Verse 8, Yeshua said, all these, everything he talked about, deception, wars, rumors of wars, uh, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilence, earthquakes, and then it talks about commotions in the book of Mark and then instability. And, and in Mark and Luke, there's other information tied into this, we're staying focused on Matthew 24 right now. But a lot's going to be going on around the world. And he said, it's all the beginning. It's just the beginning of a woman in travail. When these things start happening, when you see the globe in the condition that it's in right now, for the first time in the history of the world through technology and the ability to travel to the ends of the earth, this is the time. Daniel chapter 12 made that very clear. This is the time. Israel becomes a nation. Travel all over the world. The rise of knowledge, the increase or the exponential increase of technology, the artificial intelligence, all the media, all the things that are happening right now. This is the atmosphere. It's never been this way in any other generation in the history of the world. We have never been here with 5G towers. We've never been here with the advancements in science, uh, technology and science and, our, and all of it. It's all exploded, accelerated exponentially in our generation. And everything we're aware of right now, someone I asked, I said, do you think we're 10 years behind those who are in the know? said, no, we're 20 years behind. So they have technology 20 years advanced from the highest technology that you and I are aware of right now. We get that, okay? So he said it's just the beginning. The biggest little word you're ever going to have to circle in your Bible in this conversation is verse 9, the four-letter word, then. Ah, why then? Because now Yeshua is talking about a global, general earthquakes, famines, wars, rumors of wars, nation against nations. It's just like general stuff going on 
all over the world creating chaos. But then he looks at his disciples and and he's focusing on those four disciples that he's training and they're going to go tell the whole world, write it in a book, tell all the disciples of Jesus that when that generation comes and sees all these things at the same time, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated, disciples of Christ, of all nations. Now, you can't imagine all the nations of the earth hated and are going to kill and afflict Peter, James, John, and Andrew, four disciples. I mean, obviously, he's talking to the disciples way beyond the four that are asking the question. And maybe he's talking to every generation of all disciples during the church age. From generation to generation, everybody's experienced a little bit of something that's been going on. We just happen to be the generation where it's climaxing and convulsing globally with all of this stuff, right? So he's talking to the disciples, and he's saying, you're going to be afflicted. That word afflicted, because, again, these are important definitions to share right now. That is the thlipsis. So the word means a pressing, pressure, oppression, tribulation, distress. So what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Then shall they deliver you up to be pressured, afflicted, oppressed. It's now talking to the ecclesia, the church, the believers, the followers, the disciples of Jesus Christ. That generation at that moment, when all is going on, now they're going to turn their attention against you. And Jesus is telling them exactly what's going to happen to them, the disciples. And he says they're going to deliver you up to tribulation and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Question, did Jesus say, When all those signs are coming, when the world is shaking, when prophecy is unfolding, when everything is ripe, it's all ready to happen, the secret preacher of rapture is on the page. That'll be the great event where you're out of here. No. He said, the master said, that's when they're going to put you into tribulation. That's when they're going to kill you. And that's when they're going to hate you. All the nations of the earth are going to hate all the true disciples of Jesus Christ. Nowhere about a secret preacher of rapture yet. But obviously, okay, it's got to be there, so let's go looking for it. In verse 10, Jesus said to those disciples that are going to be afflicted, hated, killed, and then the next thing that's going to happen with that environment shall many disciples be offended. And by the way, who are they that are going to be delivering up to all this? This is the world. This is the government. This is what's happening. We live in a nation right now where our own government made war with its own people. Because of January 6th, they declared war on their own American citizens, where 99.999% of them were mild, peaceful, moral, exceptional in their behavior, conduct, and character. But our government, the government of the United States of America, made war with over 80 million of its own citizens. That's not healthy. That's not healthy. Let me go on. So, and then shall 
because the, the hatred, the killing, the affliction, they're going to start putting pressure on the church people. You're watching it right now. It's just beginning. But he said, then shall many be offended. And you got to put it in context. Many disciples, because this pressure is coming against the disciples. Now, the disciples, many of them are going to be offended. And that word offended means scandalizo. And it means they're going to be entrapped. Many disciples are going to be entrapped. They're going to be tripped up. And they're going to stumble into apostasy. Why? Because they were thinking, this is the time for the pre-trib rapture. I'm out of here and didn't make any preparations whatsoever, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, to even begin to be able to stand in these last days. So now they're being hated. They're being persecuted. They're being killed. And they're going, why are we out of here? And they're offended. They're entrapped, humbling. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say they were going to be gone. And he said, then shall many be offended. And what are they going to do? They, the disciples that once walked in brotherly love and fellowship, they shall betray one another. What does the word betray mean? It means to surrender or yield up someone you once walked with to prison. They're going to be sending their own Brethren, because offense is going to have such an, a powerful impact upon their psyche, they're going to fall into the trap. They're going to be taken over. They're going to give up and apostatize from their faith to betraying their people, their own brethren, the disciples who once did church together. Listen. And... Verse 10 goes on to say, not only will they be offended and betray, they shall hate one another. I want to ask you a question right now. Jesus Christ, no doubt the master teacher, is giving them an answer to their three questions. And he's telling them about a time at the end that those disciples who once walked in fellowship that they are going to fall into a trap, they're going to apostatize, they're going to betray their own brethren and hate one another. Are they saved? Do those sound like saved people? I mean, is it really true that I can go ahead and betray people in the body of Christ? I can hate them? That I can apostatize away from Christ into this trap? And begin to do all this stuff. And am I still going to heaven because I'm just having a bad week? I'm asking you, are they saved that hate? Are they saved that betray? Are they saved that are offended? Jesus went on to say, and you're getting the climate now, okay? Nowhere has he said anything yet, right? I haven't found it about a pre-tribulational secret rapture when these things are happening. Don't worry, disciples, you're out of here. Not once, right? So far, the master hasn't said a word. In verse 11, while this climate is going on, okay, the beginning of sorrows, and then eventually you're going to see where that's going to lead. The beginning of sorrows is leading towards the great tribulation period. And now you're seeing how the tribulation is going to affect the disciples, not the world as much. 
The tribulation will be from the world against the church. That's why we say it's not the wrath of God during the great tribulation. It's the wrath of the dragon. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Let me not get off. Verse 11. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. What does that mean? Well, if the majority, the many, the plurus, are going to be hating one another and betraying one another and being offended, well, the false prophets are going to rise up in the mega churches and tell those very people that are hating and betraying and have apostatized from the truth of Christ, they're going to have to be gathered into places to make themselves feel good about going to heaven after all. Okay? Many false prophets are going to rise and deceive many. They're going to tell those who hate, those who betray, those who are offended, you're saved. It's going to happen in mass everywhere. They're going to be justifying, validating themselves by these false prophets who are telling them, you have every right. These, these bad disciples over here, they're the problem. How does that happen? That's satanic, isn't it? Verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The agape, the love of many, not a few, shall wax cold. That phrase there, wax cold, is the suko, psyche, suko. And what it actually is talking about is a growing, cold, waning love. In other words, the psychology in the mind of the disciples that once had the love of God, the truth of God, they apostatized from it, they begin to betray, hate, and all these things, get offended. Their love will now ebb into, literally it says, a chill, a, a reduction of temperature by evaporation. So the evaporation that will happen to the breath, the suke, the mind, the words, the thoughts of that individual are going to wax cold. Are they saved? You've got to answer that question. Are these disciples or once disciples who have apostatized and fallen away because they couldn't handle the pressure that was coming against them, are they saved? And I know that the majority of you that are listening are going, no, of course not. But that one person out there today that you've always believed in a pre-trib rapture, and maybe you're thinking right now, yeah, but Pastor Vince, you're in Matthew, and you haven't gotten to Thessalonians yet because the, the pre-trib rapture is in First Thessalonians. All right, we'll go there in just a second, and we'll discover it, and we'll, we'll bring it out into the light, okay? We'll find the pre-trib rapture in First Thessalonians 4 in just a second. But let's stay with Jesus for just a little bit longer, okay, as the master who's being asked about the end of the world, his second coming or his coming. Um, he's already dealt with the Jerusalem-Israel thing, the temple in 70 AD that, will be, that was destroyed. That part of the prophecy was fulfilled. And then he spans time. Well, Israel scattered around the world for 1,900 years. They just come back in 1948, and then we kind of pick up on his prophecy, the final generation. Do you see that? Do you hear that? Did you hear that? Let it go over your head. Do you have ears to hear? Okay. So the love of many will wax cold. Verse 13, Jesus said, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now let's put it in perspective. This period that Jesus is talking about, 
from the beginning of sorrows to the persecution of the devil in the world against the disciples, everything he's been talking about, is a period of time. And he's going to tell you exactly what time that is. Jesus is actually going to call this the time of the great tribulation. Watch how he writes it. Now, so we know that the great tribulation in the new covenant is 42 months, 1260 days, or three and a half years. So when this, when this begins, the great tribulation, which we're getting closer and closer every day that passes to it, when it begins, there will be a period of time that we're going to have to endure. We're going to have to go through it. And Jesus said he who endures under the end of this period of time, the same shall be saved. And that word saved is the same word that we use for salvation, sozo. And it means to be preserved, uh, healed, restored. It literally talks about deliverance, okay, because we're going to have to go through this like the Jews did in Nazi Germany, like some of the people that went in there and they had to endure that nasty season, but they kept the faith. Corey Temboon, for example, went until it was over and then got out and then told the whole world, right? You have to endure this time. We're going to get deeper into this, but I need to ask the question. Did he say that there would be a preacher rapture anywhere? No. Verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. That didn't happen in 70 AD. That's happening right now through technology. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world through television, radio, internet, for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Ah. Now, verse 15. When you therefore shall see, disciples of Christ, when you shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Now, when is that going to happen? In context, the same time, the beginning of sorrows, chaos in the world, now a time of tribulation, persecution, anguish against the disciples of Christ globally around the world. And we're going to see people lose their faith, betray, do all these crazy things. But when you see, now he's shifting on a very focused laser event. And it's not the pre-trib rapture. And the, the teachers out there are telling us the next great event is the pre-trib rapture. Now he says, when you see all this stuff going on, and you see that persecution coming, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is the Antichrist, we know him as Lucifer, Spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, which means there will be a temple. There will be a temple. Revelation chapter 11 speaks of the temple of God. Measure the temple. There will be a temple. They already have it ready to go. 
in Jerusalem. It's been ready to go for a long time, waiting for the right time, because it has to come at the precise moments in the economy of what's going on scripturally. That temple has to come back into view. Okay? That's going to happen. But then when you see the Antichrist, Lucifer is the exact description, which we'll show in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in just a little bit. He said, when you see it, stand in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let them which are in Judea or be in Judea. So if you're in Judea, in Jerusalem, it's there today. Okay? Flee into the mountains. No preacher of rapture. Flee. Run for your life. Get out if you're in Judea. What if you're in Nebraska? What if you're in Ohio? What if you're in Florida? The day comes that that temple's rebuilt in Jerusalem, and it's up, and they start sacrifices, and all. So many people have said, oh, the Jewish people finally got their temple. Remember, their temple worship being restored is the greatest act of rebellion against God because it's a total rejection of the Lamb of God's sacrifice, and they're going to start killing animals again, shedding blood in total rejection. So the temple that will be built is not going to be used for any other purpose concerning God than to fulfill Bible prophecy. Remember that. But it says... Flee, verse 17, let him which is on the housetop, whatever housetop you're on, not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. So it's, now it's happening. They're seeing it. It's time to go. There's a sign. You've got to know when that Antichrist goes into that temple in Jerusalem, you've got to know it's time to go. And you got to know that that temple is ready to be built. And it is not a temple where the glory of God walked into it when Yeshua went into the temple 2,000 years ago and taught. That was what Haggai was told. And he was telling the people that the former temple was more glorious. The latter temple, however, will possess greater glory. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. Solomon's temple was altogether glorious, but it only carried the presence, whereas the glory in the manifested presence of God in Jesus went into the temple, right? But this temple that's going to be built right now is not a temple where God will be glorified in. The temple that God is glorified in is in the hearts of men, the tabernacle of David. We are his house. We are his temple. That external temple in Jerusalem will have nothing to do with the glory of God in it. It will be all designed for the satanic. It's a sign, and it's coming. And we're watching all the signs of the time swirling around us right now. We're in the beginning of sorrows. We're not in the then yet. It's coming, but there's a lot more to go. Now, I hope this makes sense. Sometimes I go a little fast and people don't get it. So now he says, don't come back to get your clothes. You're in the rooftop. Don't go back. And I, I want to bring in one thought before I go on. I want to go back to December of 2004. I believe it was December of 2004, there was a massive tsunami in Indonesia. Do you remember? It killed over 300,000 people. The tsunami in Indonesia. Why am I telling you this? That tsunami that killed 300,000 people plus 
there was a phenomena that happened just prior to that tsunami making landfall. Do you know what it was? The phenomena that we were told by eyewitnesses before any man ever saw that wave, the animals that were present started fleeing to the higher ground. They had a perception. They had an ability. They knew something that the, that the at-ease tourist in Indonesia didn't know. And they started fleeing to the high ground. And people saw it. And then it came. Jesus is going to give a perception to his true followers. He's telling his disciples, when you are living in the world in the last days and you see all these things going on, you better put your alert up. You better get your high tower up. You better get a clear focus. You better peer in and, and get in your spirit a intunement with what's going on. And you, by the spirit of God, need to know when to get out, to go to higher ground, to get into that safety, that place of safety, okay? So I just wanted to bring that up. Verse 19. And woe unto them that are with child. Oh, you're pregnant mamas, right? Woe unto them that are with child and them that give sucker. They already have children. So one's pregnant. The other one's having a baby already and giving milk to the little baby. Woe unto them in those days. See, it's not going to be a healthy time to be pregnant or to have a nursing baby. Why? In verse 20. We're listening to Jesus. We're looking for the pre-trib rapture, okay, the next great event on the calendar, according to some people, a lot of people. We're looking for it. Now, Jesus says, woe to them. He says, flee to the mountains. He says, go, don't go down into your house. Get out of the way. Woe to the pregnant women and to the nursing mothers. And not, you're out of here in a pre-trib rapture. He says, but pray, in verse 20, but pray that your flight be not in the winter. He's not talking about a pre-tribulational, pre-tribulational rapture flight. It's just talking about your flight into the wilderness, your flight into the mountains, your flight, you're fleeing from your rooftop in your house. He said, pray that your flight be not in the winter. I'm telling you, they're saying a cold winter is coming. And you don't want to see the electrical grid go out in the cold winter and all energy fail, right? So pray that your flight will not be in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, so I believe the Sabbath day is still a beautiful day. It existed before the law of Moses. I believe in the Sabbath day. I think it's a wonderful time to repose and do nothing but spend time with God and rest. So you wouldn't want that moment to happen when you're in that mode, right? Verse 21, listen to the words of the Messiah. For then shall be great tribulation. There it is. 
Jesus spoke the words, then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, the time he's talking about when it's going to happen, no, nor ever shall be. In other words, Jesus was talking about a tribulation that was going to be greater than any other time in the history of the world, including the days of Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah, the destruction of the temple, or any other thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. 70 AD was kind of bad, but it was isolated over in Jerusalem at that time. We're talking about a global reality in the last days. He said this tribulation is going to be worse, it's going to be greater than any other time in the history of the world, and it will never be again. In other words, this is the final great tribulation spoken of in Revelation chapter 13. It has a three and a half year period of time connected to it. And Jesus said, this great tribulation in verse 22, except those days should be shortened. How does he shorten the days? To three and a half years. He gives a period of time and he says, this is it. This is the time that that final generation that's going to go through the final great tribulation that will never be again, and yet is going to be greater than any other time in the history of the world. They're going to have to endure to the end in order to be saved without falling away, okay, losing their love. They're going to, God is going to do a favor, except the day should be shortened. There should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So the elect of God shall be on the earth in the final great tribulation. It's going to be limited to three and a half years. Verse 23. Question before I move on. Have you found anywhere the next great event with all the signs that are spoken of a pre-trib rapture? Have you found it? Did Jesus mention it? I can't find it. And I'm not an expert, but I know how to read. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. I can't find it. Jesus is talking about the end of time. If 70 A.D., was the great tribulation that would never have been again, Nazi Germany would have never happened. Or the Crusades, or the Inquisitions, or the destruction of the Roman Empire, or any other thing. And Nazi Germany was only a type and shadow, a preview of what Jesus is talking about. Because that was a persecution against the Jews. He's talking about a great tribulation, a global persecution against all the disciples, whether they be Jew or Gentile. All disciples of Jesus Christ globally around the world. And you're watching it right now, set up. So then in verse 23, if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ or there, believe it not. In other words, don't come out of your chamber. 
Get into your chamber, shut the door, get ready. You've prepared. You were like Noah. You built an ark. You obeyed the Lord in spite of the opposition. You did what was right. Don't listen to anybody at this time saying, oh, here is Christ. For there is Christ. Believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. In other words, the world will have mega churches gathering the damned. The world will be going on whatever is left of it under the, uh, under the control of the Antichrist who steps into that temple and rules the world. And they're hunting and there's magic and there's witchcraft and fire coming down out of heaven and all these mystical, spiritual, satanic signs and wonders. And the world is, is just going and it's all to draw out the elect of God. He said, listen, this is going to be a very deceiving time. It could even deceive the very elect. And then Jesus says in verse 25, Behold, I have told you before. I've told you before it happens. He just described the very end of time to the greatest tribulation, which is right ahead of us. And now he's looking and saying, now, okay, I've told you how it's going to work. But now listen. Then he says in verse 26, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it not. Don't believe anything about that stuff. For as Here's a key. For as the lightning, as the lightning, he's going to talk about the sign of his coming now. Okay. As the lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So shall also the coming. So as the lightning shines out of the east unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be? We're all talking about the coming of the Lord. That was one of their questions. It's the sign is like lightning from east to west. And then Jesus says, for wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. That's a Hebrew idiom, as I understand it, to mean when you see a bunch of birds flying around, there's prey. So when you see all these signs, know it's at the door. And here's the answer. In verse 29, Jesus continued to speak, and he said, immediately, now put it around in your Bible, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So he just spent the entire chapter, as we understand it, talking about the tribulation. He He called it the greatest tribulation. Now Jesus said, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and I would imagine it would be a horrific time, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Wow, that's celestial stuff going on there. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, like lightning. He's going to come like lightning flashing from the east to the west, right? And he said, immediately after the tribulation, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall 
all the tribes of the earth mourn. Why? Because they're going to see him. Revelation 1-7, all the tribes of the earth will mourn because they'll see him. So he's saying it. They'll mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming. The whole earth. Not a secret pre-trib rapture. The whole earth will see him coming immediately after the tribulation when the sun, moon, and stars are afflicted and infected. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So how is he coming? He's coming in the clouds. Remember that for the next passage we're going to read. He's coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And now that he's coming in the clouds, every eye shall see him, and he shall send his angels. He stays in the clouds. He does not make landfall. This is important. He sends his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And the angels with the great sound of the trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the one end of heaven to the other. Now we have to go to... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Because here, maybe you were thinking, gosh, I thought maybe in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I could have got some indication that there was a secret preacher of rapture. I just read Matthew 24. There's not even a hint of it. But it does say clearly that immediately after the tribulation, then would come the sign of the coming of the Son of Man, that every eye would see him. And he's going to give a shout, and the angels are going to go and gather together as elect. But there's more to it. And Paul actually refers to it, and I would like to just, if I may, I would like to just put this in a little bit different perspective so I could read it here. And um, well, let me just read it out of 1 Thessalonians 4. So here now is where you and I are going to discover and find the pre-trib rapture, right? That's what we're told. Every single person that preaches the pre-tribulational secret rapture says it's in 1 Thessalonians 4. So let's go find it. And it always begins in verse 13. So here's what the Apostle Paul writes. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Don't be ignorant. Concerning them which are asleep. I don't want you to be without information. I don't want you to be without knowledge. I don't want you to ignore this. Concerning those who have died, okay, and he's referring to the saints. They were hurting. They were sobbing because some of their loved ones were being killed or they died, and they were believers. He said, don't be ignorant. Let me address this. Paul's going to address their pain for their lost loved ones. That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So the unredeemed world doesn't have hope for the salvation of their lost loved ones. They're never seen again because they're not going to heaven, he said. So he said, don't act like people that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? Even so them also which sleep or those that died in Jesus, believing in Jesus, will God bring with him? So what is he talking about? The rapture? Or the resurrection. He's talking about the resurrection of the dead. He's talking to those who are alive and remaining. He's talking to the living saints, saying, don't be burdened, don't be sorrowful, don't be hopeless over those that have died, because God is going to bring them back to life again, just like he did Jesus. 
So don't worry about it. That's what he's saying. But now Paul says in verse 15, one of the most powerful statements, you got to circle it. Paul's going to talk about the issue now. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. What word of the Lord? Matthew 24. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, alive and remain to what? We who endure to the end of the great tribulation, we're alive and remaining unto what? Unto the coming of the Lord. When does the Lord come? Immediately after the tribulation. That's what the Lord said. So you and I who are alive and remain, endure to the end unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. In other words, we're not going to be raptured out of here before the dead rise. He said, no, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. We just read that in Matthew 24. With the voice of the archangel. And with the trump of God. We just read that immediately after the tribulation. That's what's going to happen. But Paul's bringing some revelation to this. And he says, And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So when the Lord returns in the cloud, and the shout is there, and the trumpet blasts, and there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. Then, we which are alive and remain, those who have endured to the end, they're alive and remaining through the great tribulation. Now the Lord comes, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So the dead shall rise first, those alive and remaining then will be caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Have you ever seen a pre-trib rapture movie or read a book that has the resurrection of the dead at the coming of the Lord, and then the harpazo, the being caught up to meet the Lord in the air? This doesn't happen twice. Nowhere in Scripture is there a secret coming like this. The Lord comes in the clouds, the trumpet blasts, we're all gone, and then he comes and does it again. That doesn't exist. I want to ask you a question. According to this word, now having the foundation of the very words of Jesus in Matthew 24, is there a pre-tribulational rapture, secret rapture? Every time they preach the secret pre-trib rapture, it's never with the first resurrection of the dead, and then, then the rapture, and then we all go meet the Lord in the air, and we're there forever. And by the way, every eye will see him at his coming, and the nations of the earth will mourn. Why? Because when the resurrection of the dead takes place and those alive and remaining get caught up to meet the Lord, now begins the wrath of God upon the nations of the earth in Revelation 16. This harvest right here is in Revelation 14. I wish I had more time to go through it with you. What is my final point here? There is no such thing in the Gospels, in the Epistles, of a pre-tribulational secret rapture. In fact, it's known as the doctrine of imminency. And the Apostle Paul deals with that doctrine as well in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So we have to rid ourselves of the ignorance that our escape from what's coming down this, the pike into this earth 
is a pre-tribulational rapture. Don't put your hope in that. Don't put your stock in that. Get yourself prepared for what's coming. And don't fear death. Don't fear death. Get your food, get your water, get your medical supplies, be with the right people at the right time, be in the right place at the right people at the right time. I don't know. I used to say it so many times I forgot. Be in the right place, doing the right thing with the right people right now. Be there. Don't be afraid of death. It's not your end. Don't put a false hope in a doctrine that does not exist. And again, the pre-tribulational rapture doctrine runs hand in glove with once saved, always saved. And yet everything we just read was about people that were saved, but they got offended and they betrayed and they hated and their love waxed cold. They are not saved. And the Bible predicts it everywhere that you can fall away from the faith. You can quench the spirit, grieve the spirit. You can pervert the grace of God. You can lose the salvation, the gift that you were given if you're not careful. And we'll talk about that on another day because that may sound just as absurd that there's, you know, there's no preacher of rapture. That's absurd. But then you just saw there's not. So you probably have tied in with the preacher of rapture doctrine once saved, always saved. These are doctrines of demons, according to this Bible. And whether they're preaching it out of ignorance or purposefully, is a doctrine of demons. To disarm the saints. You have to have the sentence of death in you. You have to be willing for the loss of everything, even your own life. If you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ, your best life is not in this earth. It is in the eternity of eternities with a glorified body in the presence of Almighty God, our Father in Jesus Christ. Right now, we're to be salt and light, and we're to be the speakers on the rooftops shouting out, the end is near. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Don't trust in the deceivers of the age, the liar, the devil. Tell the truth. Speak the truth. Have a good argument. Bring the word. Iron sharpens iron. How close are we? Can't you feel it? Don't you sense it? Don't you know it? It's all around us. And like a snare, it shall come on all the earth, and they shall not escape. If you get caught in the trap, if I get caught in the trap, now, there are people that are going into the Great Tribulation that are actually going to wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. They're actually going to get their spots and wrinkles and blemishes dealt with during that period of tribulation. They're going to be martyred. They're going to be persecuted, put into prison. They're going to die, but they are going to be saved through it. But then there will be those who will be in the wilderness, in a place that God has designed to nurture them for three and a half years. The Bible's clear about that. There will be a church called Philadelphia where brotherly love is really at work, and that brotherly love will afford that ecclesia to be kept from the hour of temptation that shall come upon the whole world. 
And our love will be tested all together, tested. So there's no fault lines. Because if truth produces a fault line in someone's heart, and they get offended and bitter and agitated about little things, it's only a reality. There are greater fault lines, and they have to be dealt with. Brotherly love, God kind of love, scriptural kind of love, will afford a congregation to be spared and hid. We want that. We believe in that. God told Noah, build an ark. And when he entered into it, he was spared and saved. God has told us in the last days it would be like the days of Noah. Get ready. Get your ark prepared. So I'm going to have to leave it there for now. I'm just going to leave it there for now. Good morning to Cindy Messman. Good morning to Terry Shannon. Good morning to Chuck Eastridge. Good morning to John Mikhail Magajas. I know who you are. <laughs> Wait a second. Good morning watching all the way from Philippines. I thought you were being Michael John Johanan. No, John Michael Magajas. God bless you, John, all the way from the Philippines. I hope this was a blessing to you soon and very soon. Soon and very soon, John. God bless you. Jeff Bass, Pastor, uh, you sounded more like Klaus Schwab. I don't know. I sounded like Klaus Schwab? What does that mean? Oh, when I was trying to do a Henry Kissinger impersonation. Thank God that's what you meant. All right. So, um, Pastor Jeff, Schwab says we will own nothing and love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, we had Chuck giving us some amens today. Terry Shannon, <clears throat> the Filipino brother, Amen. Uh, Joyce Young was with us today saying, preach it, Pastor Vincent. I did my best. Uh, Lots of interaction with Chuck again. And Brenda Torville was with us today. And Shirley Woolsey was with us today. And uh, Chuck Eastridge said, I was taught that there was a rapture because we were raised Baptist. But once I understood the Holy Spirit revealed that that was a lie because it was never in the Bible. Praise God, you knew. I were only confirming what you already knew. Hallelujah. Uh, Brenda Torville has given us a thumbs up. Uh, we have Charlotte Gotch is with us this morning. God bless you, Charlotte. Um, and we just had a lot of good conversation was going on there. And Kevin Haugen says, Haugen says, hello, Pastor. Hello, Kevin. So that's it for us today, folks. We have laid it out, and it's only the beginning. We could go to 1 Corinthians 15. We could tie it in with Revelation 14. I mean, we could just go through this thing. It doesn't exist, so don't put your hope in it. Get ready. And let's stand together as an ecclesia on this earth, a force to be reckoned with. Listen, do not be afraid of death. Fear nothing. Fear not, neither be dismayed. And do what God calls you to do it and do it with all your might and do it with all your heart. Shout it out. Don't be afraid they're going to take me off the air, so I'm not going to say anything. Don't be afraid they're going to come and arrest me and take me to jail because I told the truth. Don't be afraid of anything. Only fear God. Only fear God. Do not be silent concerning his son, Jesus Christ. You hail him. You extol him. You glorify him. You pronounce him. You tell every devil in hell, he's already whooped you once and he will whoop you again. You tell the world the truth. Try to save as many people as you can by telling the truth. 
We're trying to save Christians right now from embracing false doctrine that's going to damn their souls because they're not prepared for what's coming. We're trying to save Christians. We haven't even begun. We, we just do the ministry of saving people as we go. These messages we preach are not to the world. They are to Christians. And then those who believe there's not a preacher of rapture, now we've got to bring the message of sanctification to their hearts. Repent of all your sin. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Get glorified with Christ in you. I mean, we've got to, we minister to the church. The church. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. And I'm going to just say, period, today. I love you. Got to run. Got to go. See you tomorrow. Lord, we know we probably won't see you tomorrow. But check in just in case. If not, we'll see you on Tuesday. I want you to do something this weekend. I want you to go out and love your life greater than at any other time. I want you to grab your best friend, your, your buddies, your, your family, your spouse, your kids. I want you to go out and live the greatest day, the greatest weekend. Enjoy everything that God has given to you. And you are healed by the stripes of Jesus Christ right now. You enjoy. You get that fear that they're sending around. You get that out of your mind, out of your sphere of influence. You bring the glory of God and everything. You enjoy the life that God has given you. I'm asking you to do it. I'm asking you to experience the abundant life that Jesus Christ gave to you. Died on the cross to pay for you. I'm asking you to put your faith and trust in him and to honor his word. Yeah, some bad stuff is coming. It's not here yet. And when we get to it, we will go through that too. But right now, prepare, enjoy, go shopping, get some extra food, and then enjoy. Go to the park, the beach, whatever you love to do, do it. You live your life without an ounce of fear. Cautious, be watchful, balanced. Do something terrific today and this weekend. Not to the neglect of anything important that you need to do. But you praise the Lord. You worship the living God. And if you're going through a hard time right now, I stand in agreement with you for your healing and that you too will come through this. And it will add even greater strength to you. we got to endure three and a half years. Only God knows how that's going to be by the power of the Spirit. So endure this present storm. Get through it. This too shall pass. Don't give up on your faith. And don't give up on your love. You forgive everybody. You embrace. You love. You don't even think about it. You don't reason with it. You just do it. And God will take care of you. I am convinced that your God is greater than anything going on in this world. And tell the devil the same exact thing. You're not mastering my soul. You're not mastering my mind. You're not in control of my life. The Lord rebuke you. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, Jesus said, but fear him who after he kills both body and soul, cast them into hell. That's all. I can't say anymore. I got to go. Arrivederci. Ciao. Shalom.